Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Psalm 4. For the choir director on stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. Many are saying, who will show us good, any good? Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. This is the word of the Lord. Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts that are on every heart here this morning be acceptable in your sight, you who are our strength and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So this is for the director of music. So uh, this is the choir director, the music foreman. And it's to be a public expression of a private thanksgiving. It's sort of like a testimony. And it's with stringed instruments. And David wrote this psalm. And who is David? Well, David is a man after God's own heart. Now, I want to give you an idea of who wrote this by reading a little bit about David from Scripture. In 1 Kings 11.4, we see that Scripture says this about David. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David, his father, had been. So here it says that David's heart was fully devoted to the Lord his God. Then in Nehemiah 12, 24, we read, and the leaders of the Levites were Hashabiah, Sherebiah, Jeshua, son of Cadmiel, and their associates who stood opposite them to give praise and thanksgiving, one section responding to the other as prescribed by David, the man of God. So David is a man of God. Kings, 1 Kings 9.4, as for you, if you walk before me in integrity of heart and uprightness as David your father did. So David walked before God in integrity of heart and uprightness. 1 Kings 11.4, Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. So David's heart was fully devoted to the Lord. 1 Kings 14.8, I tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, but you have not been like my servant David who kept my commands and followed me with all his heart, doing only what was right in my eyes. 
This is what the Bible says about David. He was God's servant. He kept God's commands. He followed God with all his heart. He did only what was right in God's eyes. Psalm 78 says, He chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob. Of Israel is inherited, and David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands. So David took care of God's people with integrity of heart and with skillful hands, he led them. And then in Acts 13, we read, after removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, quote, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, he will do everything I want him to do. <laughs> and so this is the meaning behind this psalm, starting by saying for the choir director on stringed instruments, a psalm of David. So this is a psalm that is written and sung by this man I've just described to you. Now, my question for you is, do you have any problems with this? I remember when my dad, we, you know, this covenant class at College Church, had two, two teachers. One was Ken Hansen, who'd, who'd built Service Master into a huge company, very profitable. And the other was Joe Bailey, who was kind of uh, the opposite. They're both very good teachers. And when Ken would get up, Mr. Hansen would get up, he'd have, he was like Stephen. You know, it was like, and and you know? And it was all laid out, it was up on the board. You, any idiot could understand it. And if you had questions, he had answers for your questions. And I remember sitting, getting ready for church, and my dad would be sitting in his easy chair. He'd have his Bible open in his lap. He was preparing to teach his Sunday school class in a few minutes, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and inevitably, every class of my father's was the same class. And it was basically saying to the people, you have a problem with this. Tell me what your problem is with this. What don't you like about this? Come on, be honest. Tell the truth. You have a problem with this. In other words, my dad was constantly trying to get people to, to see that they really didn't approve of what Scripture said, you know? And they didn't really like it, and they didn't really believe it. Well, everything I just read about David, if you're honest, you'll admit, <laughs> especially you women, that you don't like it and you don't believe it. How can you say those things about the man that murdered Uriah and took his wife? And I'm not even bringing up the census that caused so many of his citizens. You know, he's, he's a great shepherd. He took such great care of the sheep. And he had a census, and he had to plead with God on the threshing floor that it would stop because it was wiping them out. The sheep. And so, brothers and sisters, what we read here is 
answer me when I call, O righteous God. And that we wouldn't have as much problem with, but that's not what it says. It says, O God of my righteousness. And you see this all through the Psalms where David claims his righteousness to God. It's constant. And every time I read it, I go, first of all, my first thought is, I'm horrible. David's righteous. And then I remind myself about David. And then I'm left with, I'm horrible and David's horrible. And then I'm left with, how on earth do we talk about our righteousness to God in prayer? What's the answer? Well, the answer is that you are a sinner. David was a sinner. Solomon was a sinner. Samson was a sinner. Donald Trump is a sinner. And the minute I say Donald Trump, you go, well, yeah, but he wasn't like David. And I say, okay, can you imagine what people today would do with David? I mean, think about it, people. There is none righteous, not one. So then what does David mean when he talks about my righteousness? Well, God is his righteousness. This is what we've been learning in Romans. And what God wants from us is to tell the truth about ourselves in prayer to him. And it's when we stop telling the truth about ourselves in prayer to God that we become wicked. Because inevitably, the reason we will not confess the truth about ourselves is that we're proud and resistant. Okay? And so the sweet spot for Christian faith is to confess your sins to God. Because Christian faith is to believe that God forgives sins. And so Christians are people who are constantly confessing their need and their sin to God and asking him to give them what they don't have. It's so sad, I said to you last week, and I'll say it again this week, it's so sad for me to see the absence of humility and confession of sin in conservative churches in our country today. I'd say across the Western world. And it's because pastors have not been preaching to the conscience of their people and opening up their sins to them. And so the sheep become secure without compunction of conscience is what Martin Luther said would happen. I'm quoting him. And, and they become impermeable to true preaching. The first time they're under it. You think about when you first came to this church and all of a sudden you're like, wow, wow, this can't be right. I thought I was supposed to be uplifted. Well, you are. Because God is glorified in man's, are you ready for this? Independence. <laughs> so, okay, I'm quoting a title of a famous Jonathan Edwards sermon. And the true uh, title of it is God glorified by man's dependence. But in America today, and especially in the conservative churches, God glorified by man's independence. 
you know, and we're out there at the courthouse showing our independence. By gum, the Constitution gave us rights, and we aim to protect our rights, you know, because what? The Constitution exists to, to make us independent of government, you know, that's what most Christians think. The less government, the better. The less submission, the better. I mean, we all know that's true, right? Zach, right? You know, the less submission, the better, right? Aren't you relieved when your father isn't at home? I mean, tell us the truth. Listen, David was a man after God's own heart, and the reason is David confessed his sins. And you women sitting there and condemning David and condemning your husband, you better realize that I'm not talking to you, and that's a relief to you. Because you've got a whole bag of sins that are every bit as evil as your husband's. Okay? And so I want you to realize that God, Yahweh, is the God of David's righteousness. And you can say, well, yeah, it's God's righteousness. That's David's righteousness. And I say, again, how on earth does any man like David say, my righteousness. And it's because he comes to God and he confesses his sins. And he's truthful. Now I want to talk to you. Um, I want to talk to, to you who are in high school and junior high and maybe even younger, Zion. Are you in junior high now? Okay, junior high, Okay. Listen, it's very difficult to grow up. And every adult in here knows this. And I'm not patronizing you to say this. It is extremely difficult to grow up. Because for a large stretch of life, it seems as if the whole world is, is sweet. And then you begin to individuate. That's what we call adolescence. And the minute you begin to individuate, the minute you begin to be aware that you are a person rather than just a child, you'll begin to see your sin, and it's awful. It's awful for girls, it's awful for boys, it's awful for girls and boys in different ways. Knox has not yet reached this time in his life. And so he's still cute. But I hate to tell you, Bailey, you're no longer cute. You're either pretty or ugly, but you're not cute, (laughs) you know? And that's the time in life when you begin to wear the weight of sin, okay? Uh, uh, I don't know what they call you, but I call you all of that. You're coming into that point. And listen, I want you to understand that if your parents are impatient with your sins and they act with you as if you should never sin and they you know they act with you they're impatient and they're just they're always telling you you did it wrong and when they're not telling you you did it wrong you're thinking I did it wrong when I was in high school I had horrible pimples and I felt that the pimples were simply announcing to everyone what was true of my heart and so I hated my pimples because they were like showing, you know, they were like woking people to who I was, you know. 
And, and so when you look at the awkwardness of your life as you, as you begin to become an adult, you must believe that God forgives sins. And if you try to please your parents, you will not be able to do it. As a matter of fact, you could almost define parents as people impossible to please. Because the minute you learn one thing, they have 10 more for you to learn. It's kind of like my relationship with Mike Bowles. You know, about the time that I think I have Mike on the reservation here, I find I'm off the reservation 10 other places. And I often leave meetings with Mike wanting to shoot myself. Sometimes it's like that with Lawrence too, but generally Lawrence's mercy overcomes his, <laughs> you know. These are the people I work very closely with, right? And as a teenager and as a junior high school student, you get to the point where you think, I can't walk, I can't sit, I can't sleep, I can't comb my hair, I can't do the dishwasher, I can't set the table, and then I have pimples. You know, and it's like, and what I want to say to you is, God is your righteousness. And you own his righteousness by confessing your sins to him. And he will not be angry with you. He will love you when you confess your sins to him. So you get done at the end of a day and you've had a very discouraging day where your parents were not pleased by anything you do, okay? You go to God in your bed at night and you ask him to give you peace and say, I sinned a lot today. Would you please give me peace? And God is not a punitive, impossible to please mother or father. And he will give you peace. Okay? And another thing is, all of us here love you. When your parents don't love you, we do. And so you can be weak. You know, parents have to worry about whether you'll be able to have a job and support a wife and child in 10 years, and so they have to be intense. But the rest of us can kind of forget about the big picture and just be sweet to you. And so if you need some encouragement and sweetness, go to people in this church, we'll give it to you. Because we know what it's like to see your sin. Remember, you in junior high and high school, that David was a man after God's own heart. You know his sins. This is hopeful to you that your heart and all its sins is no obstacle to God loving you and forgiving you. It's not. Okay? One last word. Don't be proud. Because if you're proud, God will resist you. And not only will you not be able to please your mama, you will not be able to please God. He resists the proud. Okay? Okay? So don't be proud, right? Okay? All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Answer when I call, O God of my righteousness, you have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. And this is exactly what I'm telling you to do with God. Go to him. He'll relieve you. He'll hear your prayer.
O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? Listen, if you go to God and you confess your sins as a high school or junior high or grade school person, the minute you do this, you're going to be able to, you're going to begin to see not just your own sins, but the sins of your parents and the sins of our leaders and the sins of your teachers. You'll become sensitive to sin. And then that's another danger because seeing the sins of your parents can cause you to judge them and harden your heart against them. Does this make sense to you? And so a very wicked man once said that uh, children begin by loving their parents, then they judge them, rarely do they forgive them. And so we have some children in this church who honestly hate their parents. You can see it in their face as I preach. We had one guy this morning in the first service who, who sat there with a uh, thingamabugger. And it covered his whole face. And so as I was preaching, I walked over right about this far from him. And his, his siblings tried to pull it off his face, you know. He left church without pulling it off his face. Now, what does that tell you about that kid? O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? This is who we are. Things that are honorable have become a reproach, and we're deceivers. And when... When we have faith in God, it becomes a burden so heavy, it's hard to bear. The deception and the sheer shamefulness of the world that we live in. And so David is trusting in God. He says God's here. And then he tells us what is just absolutely weighing him down to the point that he finds it unbearable. How long? Uh, All the talk about the Supreme Court this last week has brought me to this point. Because people who don't have their eye on God have lowered their expectations. And they look at, and I'm all for President Trump appointing her, I'm all for her getting confirmed, don't get me wrong, but I have seen so often the hopelessness of the judiciary in this country. It's absolutely hopeless, and if you think it isn't, you've been fooled again. And the first thing I noticed was that the nominee, this was like a week and a half ago, that she said that she would not allow her personal convictions to influence her legal opinions. And I had a judge that used to come to this church that said that to me once. What he said is, we make decisions on the merits of the law. 
And he's a very bright man. And I said to him, no, you don't. There is no person, none that has ever existed in the history of the world that has the ability of building and operating a firewall between their personal commitments and their job. Okay? It just doesn't happen. We are not made dualistic things where at some points we're under the authority of the Constitution and at other times we're under the authority of God. I mean, seriously? You set God on a shelf while you're deciding the case? You set the Ten Commandments on a shelf while you're deciding the case? We all know what that is because we all have it as a temptation constantly. And so why should judges have a buy? <laughs> you know? And so I said to this judge, you know that when it comes to homosexuality and abortion, you have to make decisions based on your fear of God. Do you all understand me? How can you go into a case on the slaughter of the unborn and say that you won't allow your personal commitments to influence your law? Come on. And so I have been, uh, I've just been worn down and discouraged. Uh, you know that a sister church of us of ours has had a, uh, they made a decision that they wanted to get arrested. One of them's running for office. He's running for the county board or something. And so they got together a bunch of people from their church, little children and stuff, and they went down and took off their masks and sang in front of the courthouse. And sure enough, a couple of them got arrested. And so it worked just the way they wanted it to. And uh, so then people began to attack me and us because we're asking you to wear masks. Because look at them, they're just so brave. They're so out there and taking a stand for truth. And so... On the one hand, you've got the Supreme Court battle. On the other hand, you've got this church that's a sister church of ours with people we love going getting arrested. On the third hand, you've got me being attacked for having no courage and not taking stands on anything. I mean, seriously, say this to me, okay? And so I've been discouraged. And then yesterday morning, it came to me. Do you know what the real threat to religious liberty is in America today? The real threat, the real threat is not face masks and it's not social distancing. The real threat is the removal of the words of Jesus Christ from our national life. That's the real threat. You know that Jesus said that if we are ashamed of him, and his words, that he will be ashamed of us when we stand before his Father. And the thing that I've found my entire ministry, which is a long time now, is that the people in my churches will not speak the words of Scripture. They won't do it. And so on, on the internet for many years, everybody was anonymous. I asked them why they were anonymous. I mean, I was signing everything I did. They'd say, well, I have to be concerned about my job. Now it's gotten to the point where on Facebook, you're not anonymous, right? 
but you just never say God's truth. You may be able to bring yourself to say political truths because there's still a place for political conversations and debates, but none of you bother trying to teach God's truth. It's much more acceptable to engage in political argument than it is to teach what God says about homosexuality and transsexuality and fornication and abortion and adultery and divorce. Are you all with me? Come on, cop, cop to it. Say guilty, your honor. Come on. Oh, some of you think you're just, oh, oh. well, I've never seen you online. (laughs) You know, I've seen you doing a whole lot of stuff online that isn't confessing the words of Jesus. I think it's fascinating how some of the people that have reputations for being the bravest people in our country, Christian pastors and leaders, they always say humanity. Humanity. Jesus, I mean, God named us man as a a race. Man. And all of us are just tripping over our own feet trying to avoid calling women man. I see you. I'm good with words. And I hear you. And you say humanity, which is, as the who would say, tipping your hat to the new revolution. And I hear you. You don't ever use the word sodomy. I hear you. You don't talk against fornication and adultery. You're all... You're all judgment neutral, not gender neutral, judgment neutral. You're all looking for ways of signaling people that you're not a wide-eyed, wild-eyed believer. And so what's happened in our country is over the course of many years, steadily, truth after truth, word after word of Jesus Christ has been removed from our public life. to the point where it's now arguable that nobody in a position of responsibility can speak Jesus' words and keep their job. And here we are protesting face masks. It's just absurd. We don't need a mask in in front of the courthouse. What we need is a speech in. Remember the sit-ins where all the long-haired hippie freaks would go to the, to the president of the university's office and sit in the office and say, we're not leaving until you give us more Kleenex? Remember them? Back in the 60s? Sit-ins. And so now we're having masks in, in front of the courthouse, you know, where we get down to the courthouse and we take our masks off. Strike a blow for freedom. The shot heard round the world. <laughs> you know. And what we really need is to have all of you who have positions of responsibility go down to the courthouse and say, homosexuality is an abomination before God. My name is Tim Bailey, and I'm pastor of Trinity Reformed Church. And as I say that, you're all like trembling because you know it would hit the newspaper. But listen, I'm the guy you pay to be pious to prove to the rest of you it doesn't pay to be pious. 
And so Doug Wilson and I can say anything we want on our blogs and people just say they're a blankhead. But apparently their people like to be led by What about you? Now, why am I saying this? I'm saying this so that you will realize that your elders and your pastors are not lacking in courage. And the reason we're at, not down at the courthouse taking our masks off is because we have infinitely larger fish to fry. We're giving depositions in courts. Okay? We're talking to lawyers about how to get children of this church to be allowed by the law to come back into this sanctuary. Are you all with me? And then we're writing books that are accusing Al Moore and Desiring God and all the leaders of the evangelical world of caving on homosexuality. And listen, I spent several years on that book. And it's gotten me no approval of anybody that's in my sphere of reference. (laughs) And you think I have to prove myself by going down to the courthouse and taking a mask off? You all with me? Let's keep our eye on the ball and realize the real threat to the name of God in this Western world today is that we live in a boa constrictor and every minute the boa constrictor is tightening and removing more and more of our ability to exhale the words of Jesus Christ. And I have spent my life watching more and more of scripture's truths being removed from what a civilized man can say in polite society. Okay? That, that is the danger. Okay, And we need to be very aware of the fact that all of us are choosing to be ashamed of the words of Jesus Christ. And you say, no, I'm not ashamed. I just can't say it or I'd lose my job. And okay, you ready for this? You know me now, right? You know me. Okay, I can't say it because I'd lose my job, right? Okay, you know me, right? Okay. And my response is, actually... That's what being ashamed of the words of Jesus Christ looks like. (laughs) You know, you're silent because you'd lose your job. That's what it means. And so when it says here, listen to it, when it says, oh, sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? This is the society we live in. The honor of God, the truth of God, the character of God, the perfections of God have become a reproach and they are unutterable in polite society. That's who we are. We don't have to wear masks because we're already masked. And when we begin to have faith to hire preachers who will actually preach to us and to marry women who will actually live out God's truth and raise our children to have faith to be both loving and truthful. They're not in opposition. Love and truth embrace in a Christian. We love those we speak truth to. They don't ever feel condemned before us. They feel condemned before God. They know it's not about us, right? 
We have to begin to realize that we are ashamed of the words of God. That is the real battle. That's how the First Amendment rights and religious freedom have been suppressed in our country. Not only that, but every time you see a sportscaster like the Cincinnati Reds announcer getting fired because supposedly he used some word that he shouldn't have used, okay? What we have to realize is for every public figure that loses his job, there are millions of Christians who hear that and say to themselves, I can't ever, I can't ever do what he did. And that's called self-censorship. And so the real problem today is not that you yourself are being told, don't say this, don't say... What you have done is stop saying any of it because you've seen the public morality plays, the show trials, and you've learned to keep your mouth shut. And that's to be ashamed of Jesus and his words. You don't need to worry about masks. What you need to worry about is gags. And most of us have been gagged and gagged and gagged until the only person who's saying today things that were absolutely normal 20 years ago is Tim Bailey and Doug Wilson. And Nathan Alberson. I mean, there are a lot of us, right? But I mean, (laughs) you know there are a few of us, right? you know that you won't even say the things that God says to your own children. You just, you just bite your tongue with your own children. You know this. And I'm not saying it to depress you. I'm saying this is the world David lived in. Remember, this is, David is probably writing this at a time when his son Absalom is down at the city gate. And he's saying, if I were the judge, you know, I would be doing things right. Absalom is completely seditious. You know, and David is just weary under this. And then he says the the supreme good of this psalm. He says, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. And so I've described to you the condition we're in today. We're weak, aren't we? We're very weak. Trust me, I am very, very weak. Trust me. And then I hear that God has set apart the godly for himself, and I'm comforted. I'm comforted. And you say, well, you're not godly. And I say, I know. And that makes me godly. And he hears us when we call. Oh, how could you live without it? How could you live without it? I love the United States of America. But I love it with an eye that is as piercing as my dear godly mother was of me. And I don't fool myself about what this country has become. And I will not. And I will not trivialize the terrible wickedness that we live in. 
and I will not dignify COVID with my intense concern. The only intense concern I give COVID is trying to keep you from fighting with each other over it. And if you weren't fighting, I wouldn't have to be intense about COVID. I am not bothered. I mean, I'm bothered by people dying. I'm bothered by not knowing, seems like anything about it. Masks irritate the snot out of me, you know? Go into a store and then remember and go back out to your car, you know? (laughs) You know, they're a pain in the rear, you know? But what I want is to see truth in the streets again. And I want to see God bless this country with a revival that comes through the church and her preaching. And that's the only real thing I have hope in, is a restoration of the preaching of the words of God from the pulpit. Because if this country was filled with churches that had preachers who preach God's word, our country would be revived. The hope of this country isn't political, it's It's the pulpits of our churches. So pray for the pulpits of our church. I love you all. I love you very much. And I hope you love me and my wife and all the pastors and elders of this church. We don't want to fight a lot of the battles we have to fight, but they're shoved on us. And some of them actually you shove on us, (laughs) you know. I spend a lot of time dealing with you fighting with each other. (laughs) But I don't mind it because that's what we do. We fight. But you need to pray for us and you need to love us because uh, it has been discouraging all through COVID. And uh, I thank you for the way that you have lived at peace. I know it's been hard. We have people diametrically opposed to each other about masks in this church. And we're just running as fast as we can to keep ahead of you. So chill out. Give up your principles. Let the elders lead. All right, let's pray. Father, we pray that you will be merciful to us. I pray especially for the junior high and high school men and women of this church that you will draw them to yourself and that you will show them that you have chosen them for yourself and that they will have the faith to approach you in humility. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.